Alrighty, I was waiting for the thumbs up. You know, we do in a children's class, we do a thumbs up, he was a good king, or a thumbs down if he was a bad king, the nation of Israel. Do you know it out of 40? No, out of 39? You know how many northern and southern tribes, how many good kings they were? Only six. <laughs> so I was waiting for a thumbs up, amen? And I want to give you all a thumbs up this morning for being here. Uh, we got lots going on, COVID, a little spike of COVID, and I'm glad that you're here. Theotis and Sandra have dealt with that. They're better. They're just out for precautions this morning. Uh, Jimmy and Charlie have dealt with that. They're out for precautions this morning. Barbara dealt with that. She's in uh, Texas. She's, she's, uh, she's there getting a checkup. And Miss Josephine spent a night in the hospital. It's a different issue. It's not COVID, but she definitely needs our prayers. So that's kind of an update. You know, we always pray, God, bring us somebody old and bring us somebody new. We have somebody new this morning. Uh, we have Tanya, uh, Miss Erica's sister, younger sister. Uh, that She's here visiting us with, uh, from California. And aren't we glad that she's here, huh? You know, I got to thinking we were sitting down here. Uh, if you've been at a place, did y'all know we're working on 30 years at Maranatha? Did y'all know next year will be 30 years? If God brought everybody back to Maranatha that was here one time, we would be planting new churches because we wouldn't have room enough to hold them, right? So when we pray that God would bring somebody old back, there's a bunch of those out there, right? Well, this morning we're blessed to have Darwin and Cheryl and Olivia and Christina uh, back with us this morning. And isn't it great to have them in God's house this morning? Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand break. And uh, isn't it great to have babies? Uh, Haley ha is holding her, her brother, Carlos, and he is looking at me like he's paying attention, okay? That really makes me, uh, makes me glad. So and it's great to be in the Lord's house. Uh, the New Testament's where we're at. We're in the book of Matthew. And we're, we're looking this morning at God cleansing the temple. So this morning we're going to look at God cleansing the temple. Amen. Uh, we're going to find out that when he cleanses the temple, then the temple can become what God intended it to be, a house of prayer. Amen. Then we'll find out that when it becomes a house of prayer, those who need healing and are blind come to that place that they might be healed. Amen. And then we find out that people begin praising God for it. Amen. And the religious people that aren't saved, they'll get all up in arms about it. Okay. So we got some stuff to look at and it, it's really good. And we'll be looking at this for uh, the next couple of weeks. So Matthew chapter 21 verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now that's as far as we're going this morning. Next week we'll pick up in verse 15. So in Matthew chapter 21, we began, to, we began that process of Jesus absolutely separating himself from the uh, Jewish uh, religious authorities. 
That's, that's where we're at in this. So we began a couple of weeks ago by Jesus coming in uh, to Jerusalem, riding on a, a borrowed donkey. And uh, we're glad it was borrowed rather than stolen, but a borrowed donkey. And he comes into town with all kinds of hosannas and a multitude of praise. And we know that comes out of all the miracles that he's done, especially the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus only lived two miles from Jerusalem, so all of the people around that area were aware of the healing and the raising of of Lazarus from the dead. So today we began to look at Matthew 21, verse 12. And Jesus drives the buyers and the sellers out of the temple. And if you don't understand what's going on there, hopefully you will in a minute. Hopefully I'll be able to explain it to you that Carlos maybe couldn't understand it, but most elementary students could understand it this morning. In verses 15 through 17, he replies to the priest and the scribes who have taken offense at the hosannas of the people and especially the children. And then at the end of these verses, he goes back to Bethany at nighttime to get some peace and quiet and and really probably to get prayed up for the next day with things that are going to happen. So I've already covered with you over the next few Sundays what we're going to look at. So I want you to understand that, that, that in this, there is so much for us to learn individually, are you all with me, as well as a church. Okay, Because when I think about the temple... And I think about the temple that they went to now. I think today about the place of assembly. And I also think about the people that assemble. That's the church. And also think about this context. That where does God dwell now? Our bodies are the temple of God. So so we've got a lot that relates to the Jewish temple in this lesson. So I want us to understand that. So let's go back to verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, (coughs) my house will be called a house of prayer. (coughs) I want you to notice that when Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem, I want you to notice where he went. Okay? He, (coughs) He came in as a king, right? But instead of riding a white horse, he was riding a, a donkey. And it doesn't say what color the donkey was. I suspect it wasn't white. But he came into Jerusalem on a donkey. He did not go to the courtyard. He did not go to the city square. He did not go to the palace. Y'all with me? He went to the temple. Okay, so... Everything about Jesus is not temporary, but it's about the eternal. It's not about the worldly things. It's about the spiritual things. So I want you to know where he went when he came into town. Where did he always go when he went into town? He went to the temple and began to teach. Okay? So I want you to see that. His kingdom is spiritual and not of this world. Um, I'll always get blessed. Uh, don't you get blessed when you're just around spiritual people that want to talk about spiritual things? Well, Russ's second favorite preacher, I'm first, okay? Russ's favorite, second favorite preacher is Alistair Beggs. And if you're not tuned in to Alistair Beggs when you ain't got nothing to do 
I want to tell you, you'll get your socks knocked off. He is a great preacher. So last Sunday, y'all know what I preached. And if you don't know what I preached, it's nobody's fault but your own because it's on Sermon Audio. I talked about what's going on in America and the state of the nation. Well, Alistair Beggs was trying to explain the craziness of this world. Okay? And I promise you, he did a great job. And, and it would be, it, it'd be a great 30, 45 minutes to listen to. And here's what we all got to understand. And this is basically what he said. Don't be surprised. We are not of this world. This world is crazy. This world is out of control. But it's not our home. And we are not of this world. And Russ and I were just talking about it. Did you know in America, since its conception, has had it going on? Really? We have been blessed. We've got a past. We're working through that past, but we've been blessed. But listen to me. 95% of the world, population-wise, is third world. They have not had it going on. Y'all with me? So it's, it's not the ordinary for Christian people in the world that they live in to have it going on. We've just been extraordinarily blessed in this place. I promise you if Brother Bob or I had been born in Syria instead of where we were born, California and Arkansas, we wouldn't have had it going on. Listen, we need some not have it going on so we get ready for His kingdom. He also said this too. He said, this is Alistair Beggs. Uh, Russ has had to tell me two or three times. What was the first one, Russ? The two things? Yeah, yeah, I, thank you. That's all you had to tell me, okay? Here, here's, you remember what I said? You, you remember that term we came up with just a month ago? The affirmation gospel? You remember? That's what, that's... That's 90% of the evangelical church in America's gospel, affirmation gospel. I'm going to affirm you and love you in your sin. Here's what Alistair Begg said. Love everybody, affirm no sin. Talk about great. Listen, let me say it again. Love everybody, regardless of heterosexual, homosexual, transphobia, whatever, whatever they may be involved in, love everybody, affirm no sin. Now, I will tell you that if you do, if you practice that, you will be hated on. Because here's the first thing you're going to hear. If you don't affirm my sin, you hate me. No, Just tell them flat out, I love you enough to be more concerned about where you're going to spend eternity than I am you being happy with me today. Because I can just tell you, most of those people that are happy today are on a broad path. And if you haven't reviewed lately where that broad path is headed, it ain't to heaven. So, He went to the temple. His kingdom is spiritual. It's not of this world. So you'd expect him to go to the temple. 
His kingdom is over holy things. Now, He is sovereign, and He rules over everything. But He rules over spiritual things, listen to me, with authority. In the temple, y'all ready? Even with the scribes and the religious leaders there, he exercises, a, he exercises control in the temple with authority. Listen, he exercises in our lives with authority, whether you give it to him or not. He has, he has God-given authority. This piece of history that we're looking at is related by the other Gospels also and Mark and Luke, but with some differences that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks. Now, it's plain by all the evangelists that our Savior came into Jerusalem five days before the Passover. He went every night to Bethany, about two miles off. He walked there 30 30 minutes, if it wasn't uphill. 30 minutes coming back. He had time to unwound. He didn't jump in his car and he was there in five minutes. He had time to think. He went every night to Bethany, probably stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He returned every morning to the temple. And Luke says he returned every morning to the temple and before things got blown up and they started selling sheep and changing shekels and changing currency, he probably taught. Luke says he taught daily. Now, Hebrew scholars, Josephus, how many of you have read much of Josephus? Oh, Tom has, brother, that doesn't surprise me at all, brother Bob nor Tom, okay? Josephus is a great historian, okay? And he can be trusted, he can be counted upon. So, Hebrew scholars tell us that, okay, so y'all, I wish, we had, I wish I had a picture up. I didn't think about it, Bob. Okay, so the temple, uh, we should have it in our mind. Uh, the biggest part of the temple was the outer courtyard. That was where all this went on. That's where the buying and selling went on. That's where the slaughtering of the animals that went on. That's where the burning of the sacrifices went on. And then we go into the holy place in the temple, and then we have in the temple the most holy place. So what we're talking about when we talk about cleansing the temple is the courtyard area. That was the area that he was operating in, the courtyard area. Now, listen, let me tell you what was going on there. We're five days from the Passover. The market was used for the selling of such things that they would use for the Passover for their offerings, sacrifices, Wine, salt, oil, oxen, sheep. Okay? Those things were sold there. But we're getting close to the Passover. And so the market was crowded with people and with animals. Josephus says 256,500 sheep would be sold in Jerusalem leading up to that Passover. Wow. It didn't all happen in the temple. There were, this, this merchandising was going on all over Jerusalem, 
probably on the roads into Jerusalem. Okay? Now, when, when you think about that, well, preacher, really, are you sure? Well, I'll tell you this. There were 685,000 men that left Egypt when they got ran out of Egypt after Pharaoh got fed up with them. How many? 685,000. Then we had women and children. Hey, there were lots of people in the area at this time. Now, also, according to the law, everybody had to bring a half shekel. Now, look, I understand from Josephus and others maybe that you could pay your taxes before you got to Jerusalem. But if you didn't pay your taxes before you got to Jerusalem, you'd have to pay your temple tax now. And it was a half shekel. So you had to have the correct currency, right? All right, so keep all that in mind. So, for this purpose, there were tables for money changers. That is one of the, that is one of the blessings of going to a third world country to go to their market area and see the marketplace. I, occasionally on my screensaver, uh, the marketplace in Ecuador that we spent so much time at, I mean, it is a going-on place in every little community. There were men there who could provide through, uh, kind of like a banking system in exchange for a small charge, the exact currency of the half shekel that they needed. And they needed that half shekel. Those that so changed were allowed to make a little profit as they did this business. All right? So let me, let me see if I can get it right. If all you needed was a half shekel, it was 6% of the shekel price. You with me? But if you didn't have the exact currency and they had to make change, there was another 6% charge. So from what I can understand, by the time you got through with it, it could cost you a half day's wage. Okay? Now that's what I, that's what I understand. That's just for thinking, okay? Those that sold doves were there. You'll understand this, ladies, and provided for them because there would be women in need of purification. So all of that was provided because most of these people had traveled there. They didn't necessarily live there. So two questions this morning as we think about this. Was it unlawful for them to sell these things in that part of the temple? That's the first question. Was it unlawful for them to do what they were doing? The second question is this. If we say that it was lawful, then by what authority did Jesus have to drive them out of the area? Are y'all thinking? Was it lawful? And if it was lawful, then what right did Jesus have to shut down the business? Would you think about a little government overreach here? That's what you might be thinking in human terms. So, let me just tell you this. If it was not unlawful, in Jesus' eyes, he wouldn't have, uh, let me get the right word, reproved them for what they were doing. So, so somewhere or the other, they may not have broken the law, but in Jesus' eyes, they probably had broken the principle of the law. But we'll look at that a little closer. All right, now you remember this is not the first cleansing of the temple. Earlier on in his ministry, he 
cleanses the temple, and we're going to look at that in John. But evidently, that was at the beginning of his ministry. Now at the ending of his ministry, he's doing it again. So it should register in our mind, right? This cleansing of the temple, in Jesus' opinion, was an important thing. He started his ministry talking about it. He's finishing his ministry. Look at John 2, verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. Hmm. He used a whip of cords that time. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Woo! And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And you've got to ask yourself, what's that mean today? I thought about it yesterday. I saw something yesterday, and I thought, well, is that making God's house a house of trade? I saw it yesterday in our, in our city on Main Street. I just wondered to myself, is that making God's house a house of trade? His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So God loves the assembling place of his people, and he has great zeal for it. And Y'all with me now? And so should we. I mean, it ought to be an unusual thing for the body of believers to meet here and us not be here. I mean, we ought to have fever. We ought to be sick or out of town or be here. Amen? Because it's important to him. Jeannie was talking about Hebrews 10. Uh, We know the scripture. It says... uh, uh, do not forsake the assembling of, together as some are have to do it. Um, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. But the verse right before that, you know what it says? Let us consider others. You, you don't come here for just yourself. You come here for God and to worship Him. But you also come here to encourage somebody else. Now look, I think we ought to do more thinking about on Sunday morning, about how we can encourage somebody else when we get to church. That would do us great good, right? Rather than thinking, I wonder if I'm going to get blessed at church today. No, we ought to go there to give the blessing, amen? Yeah, we might consider others more important than ourselves. So, did God give specific direction for building the temple? Did he tell David, I'm not going to let you do it. You've shed too much blood, but I'm going to let Solomon do it. And did he give some, so did he give some instruction? Surely he did. And, and he does relate his temple to his body. Look what he said in John 2, 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. Now what temple is he talking about? He's talking about his. He's talking about us. We'll be resurrected from the dead also. Now, let me just tell you, we need to be careful about profaning the, the, the assembly place with commercialization. We, we, we talk about it all the time. We just ought to be real careful about doing any kind of worldly business where? At the church. 
I mean, it doesn't matter if it's uh, talking politics or eat up with uh, the College World Series or, or uh, maybe selling cookies for the Girl Scouts. We, we just need to be careful what we do in the assembly place. Because he was concerned about it. We, I, I look at somebody and, you know, doing business with church members, you know. It's kind of like doing, doing business with your brother or your sister. Let me just ask you, how does that usually work out? It's probably a good policy just not to do much business among church members. You know, the business between church members probably ought to be give and take rather than sell and you, see, you with me? I mean, anytime you start dealing with money, right, there's opportunity for hurt feelings and there's also opportunity. Y'all tell me that other word for greed, right? So we just need to be careful with commercialization. It was separated from the common. Talking about the temple, it was surely a place of prayer. Only things used for sacrifices were to be sold there. All right, now this is an interesting thing. There were marketplaces all over the city. Now, y'all think this through. I think this is pretty significant. There were marketplaces all over the city where you could get the same thing. You could get the sheep. You could get the right currency, right? Now, keep that in mind. But there is some speculation that those things brought from home, so you brought the lamb with you all the way from uh, Bethany or further away, right? You brought that lamb all the way with you, and you brought your shekel with you, right? But especially with the sacrifice, there was always the opportunity that sacrifice had to be approved. You with me? So there was probably a little pressure to approve the sacrifice that was sold in the courtyard where your, your sacrifice that you brought didn't have a stamp of approval on it. You see? So you get up there and your lamb's not approved, right? What are you going to have to do then? You're going to have to buy one. So there was all kinds of opportunity for wrongdoing and, and for greed. But it's obvious this. Y'all listen now. For somewhere or the other, Jesus saw that the temple had been profaned. He doesn't act rashly like we do. Something had happened. And what does this say about the the profaning of the temple? And and by what authority did Jesus do this? And I want to tell you, I, I read some good commentary and, and I didn't find this scripture uh, and, until I looked in, in another book. You've got Malachi 3, 1 through 4. So, now we're beginning to think, how did Jesus get away with this? Y'all with me? They were hating on this guy anyway. And they're going to really hate on him now because he's shutting down their money-making business. And not only that, but after he dies on the cross, there'll be no more sacrifices needed. Because he's the perfect one-time sacrifice. Y'all with me now? 
So these people are, are looking for an opportunity to do something with him. So how did he get away with this? Well, I'm thinking about this. and So finally I come across this text that we're going to look at. There had to be something that these religious leaders knew about that kept them from reacting instantly and arresting him or doing something with him when it happened. Well, here it is. Look at Malachi 3, 1 through 4. We, we looked at this when we looked at John the Baptist and him coming. Was he a prophet? What was John the Baptist? So, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and is as in former times. So they're thinking about all of this prophecy that they'd seen, and they were a little taken back with him acting so boldly in the cleansing of the temple. Now, it's obvious since there's no rebuttal, there was no instant pushback. Now, we get down in verse 33 and we pick it up again. They have a, a day, they have a night to think about it. They know how they're going to respond to this guy. But he caught them off guard. But it's obvious that even though they didn't give him any authority, y'all with me, church? He had some God-given authority that they recognized. Wow. Even though they didn't believe in him, it was obvious that they, had, they knew he had some authority. If the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees had not known of some law that justified our Savior in this act, it's hard to conceive they, had, they would have quietly allowed it to happen. There was something working in their mind that allowed this to happen especially considering that their prophet was about to be messed with. We should be satisfied that our Savior, who was the Lord of the temple, and who was given the Spirit without measure, did more than He might lawfully do. He did not do any more than He lawfully was allowed to do. He didn't break any God-given laws. There's nothing that hints about how he got away with these stern actions except the prophecy of the Old Testament. That's what allowed him to do this. It was the right thing to do, was it not? It obviously was. They were taking advantage of people. He did what he did, who as? The Son of the living God. It is certain, without a doubt, he did cleanse the temple. This happened. Without a doubt. Now, I want you to recognize this and just keep this in mind. Things allowed in the church, I said things allowed in the church, are things that are allowed in our life. Now listen, are you listening now? Can become corrupt or unholy. So we must watch 
the place of assembly for corruption. We must watch the temple that's our body for corruption. And what might not have been corruption in the beginning can become corruption. So we need to be watchful in the assembly. We need to be watchful in our lives. And look, this is the way we keep watchful. We stay in the Word that it might bring to our minds something has become something that's not profitable for us. Something that doesn't please the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. I love these scriptures. Do you not know that you're the God's temple and God's Spirit dwells where? If anyone destroys God's temple, that's our bodies, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. And then he says in verse 13, he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So, does Jesus always explain it pretty clearly? Yeah, so, two things. It's no longer a house of prayer. It's no longer as spiritual as it should be. And matter of fact, it's worse than that. It has become a den of robbers, thieves. They were operating there under some authority until he came. He shows from a scripture prophecy what the temple should be. Look at Isaiah 56, 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. God's assembly place is to be a house of prayer. Our bodies, this temple, is to be a temple and a house of a praying person and the Holy Spirit of God that leads us. A house of prayer. The house of sacrifices was to be a house of prayer. That's the substance and the soul of all services that we worship God and that we are a prayerful people. And that's why I encourage you to pray at Walmart. Because, look, I know what happens. Somebody at Walmart, you see them and they say, will you pray for me? And, And you say, sure I will. And you get in the car and never think of it again. So when should you pray? In Walmart. When you know that there's prayer. Matter of fact, uh, Owen Strand tweeted this week, and y'all will be glad to know I don't post anything on Twitter. I just lurk around there. But Owen Strand had a picture of John MacArthur. This guy's 81 years old. And, and I, Russ and I were talking about this morning. As far as an evangelical that's got any uh, national notoriety, he is a lion. He is bold. He is speaking the truth. And Owen Strand posted, may God give him another five to ten years. Wow. I I told Russ, why didn't he just say, why don't you do like Hezekiah and give him another 15 years that he may continue to preach. We, We ought to be that prayerful, right? What did he say? Just take a moment right now and pray. And we do pray that 
These men that are so bold in preaching and proclaiming the gospel of faith in Christ and repentance, God give them more time. Now, how hard was that? But we got to be in that attitude of always being to repeat a prayer. This temple was sanctified to be a house of prayer. And he shows from Scripture how they had abused the temple. Jeremiah, you, you want to get to Matthew 21, uh, 13? Let's just go back to Jeremiah 7, 11. What did he say? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? So what had these money changers and sellers of doves and sheep, what had they become? They had become tax collectors that were thieving from people. Right? That's what he's saying. That's why he did what he was doing. They become a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. It appears that there were some there who were stealing from the people. Commercialization of God's house can surely happen. And I believe that in this process, the sellers had come up with a way to squeeze the people out of a little more money. And you know what? The authorities couldn't see it. Nobody else could see it. The people couldn't do anything about it. But who knew it? God Almighty and His Son Christ. So, in summary, what can we learn from these two verses today? Are y'all with me? You've got them in your notes here. So next week we'll pick up the last two. And I want you to think about this. We're going to build on these for the next couple of weeks. There is a need to keep the assembly called the church clean. Now look, and we'll cover this as we go a little further, okay? But we can only do what Scripture has given us to do. We have no authority of dealing with the temple, with the assembly place outside of Scripture. That's the first thing. Secondly, to keep the temple of God, which is our bodies cleansed, is an important task. Now look, guys. Every time you click on that mouse, every time you put that phone in your hand, there is surely an opportunity, you guys with me? There's an opportunity for the temple to be defiled. So we got a task, amen? Aren't we glad that we have repentance and confession? Aren't we glad that we have the blood of, that Jan sang about? For cleansing. And three, that the temple, the assembly place, and our bodies are to be places of prayer. So just be thinking about what all this means, and we'll flesh it out over the next few weeks. So in closing, three things. Keep the meeting place holy the best we can. You know what that would mean? Look, bottom line. The church is responsible for known and willful sin. Did y'all hear me? The church is responsible for known and willful sin. That's why they give the church the uh, discipline called church discipline. It's to deal with unconfessed known and willful sin. Keep the temple of God's holy. I can give you all kinds of scripture. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. 
I can also give you the scripture and we'll look at these over the period of time. Examine yourself. That's how we keep it holy. And listen to me. What I'm talking about as far as the the assembly place and the temple, this is a a continual and systematic process. Y'all with me? It don't stop. Listen, our thoughts can go south while we're sleeping. (laughs) Come on now. And you get up in the morning, you got to start that continual and systematic process again. You guys have been so great this morning. You've been so patient with me. And I I, I sensed as I preached this morning uh, that the brethren and sisters have prayed for me. And I need it. Tom needs it. Pablo needs it. If you didn't know it, we are are leading a church in a difficult time. We need God's guidance, right? That will be given to us in abundance as you pray.